Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of the 40-year-old version. Any more thought on what kind of play we want to write? Remember, if you put in nothing, it'll be nothing. Like your career? Remember this face? She was one of Spotlight Magazine's 30 under 30 playwrights to watch. We watched, but where'd she go? How are you? Archie tells me you're teaching. How's somebody who ain't had no real hit gonna tell me how to write a play? She ain't no Tyler Perry. I did win a 30 under 30 award. Yes, it was quite a couple of years ago. What do I gotta do? Write a slave musical, an all white play? This some bullshit. It rang a little inauthentic. I asked myself, did a black person really write this? This some fucking bullshit, bullshit. Think about me doing hip hop. Doing what to it? I wanna make a mixtape about the 40 year old woman's point of view. Why my skin so dry? Why am I yawning right now? Why them AARP niggas sending shit to my house? This is 40. Hey, Omar, what you need? <clears throat> Beats, tracks. For what? For me. Yo, here's a little story about a girl who's black. Let's add some asthma attacks from all the courtyard crack, yo. No happy blacks in the plot lines, please. But a crane shot a big mama crying on her knees. Yo, yo, it's Rodham is Prime, 40 year old version. Go, Rodham! Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> this is about creating something that is mine. You're not just talking about shit, you're making shit. Shit! I got you. You don't think I'm some crazy old girl for doing this? I mean, I ain't say all that. 40-year-old White man with a black woman's butt. How you carry all that back there? What the fuck? Yes, what the fuck? All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for the 40-year-old version, and the story is as follows. Rada, a down-on-her-luck New York playwright, is desperate for a breakthrough before 40, but when she foils what seems like her last shot at success, she's left with no choice but to reinvent herself as rapper Rada Must Prime. The 40-year-old version follows Rada as she vacillates between the worlds of hip-hop and theater on a quest to find her true voice. The film is starring Rada Blank, Peter Kim, uh, Oswin Benjamin, and Reed Burney. It is written and directed by Rada Blank. Joining me for this podcast review, I have... Cody Derricks. Hiya. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Dan Bear. Better make me some poverty porn. <laughs> poverty porn. Poverty porn. Yo, 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 yo. Jesus. I shan't be doing this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my Lord. 
that scene is hysterical. There's so many funny scenes in this movie. I was fortunate enough to see the four-year-old version over at Sundance when it had its premiere. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into with this movie really at all because Rada Blank is a brand new star on the scene. And when I got into the theater and I saw the movie, the crowd's response to her was through the roof incredible. I mean, the crowd loved her. And the movie hadn't even started yet. She was just introducing the movie. And what I guess I didn't realize was that there were a lot of people in the audience who worked on the movie. So they all like knew who she was. And by the time the movie ended, I could understand why people are so in love with her. And it made complete sense to me. And from then on, I just couldn't wait for you all to then see what I had already seen and discover what a true breakout star she really, really is with this movie. So now that it's on Netflix, what do you all think of the 40-year-old version? Not virgin. Let me tell you something. Search results on this are definitely a problem. But the 40-year-old version. Cody Derricks, we'll start with you. So I went into this fairly blind, um, knowing just the idea that it was, you know, a singular voice both behind and in front of the camera. And I was, yeah, it was such a delight. Um, it's really exciting to see um, something like this kind of come seemingly out of nowhere and have such a strong authorial voice. Um, the great thing about the screenplay is that all the characters have very specific voices and personalities and completely defined characteristics. And yet the screenplay as a whole is all of one piece. It is all clearly from one distinct mind and voice. And it's, again, it's, I just keep saying exciting, but it's exciting to see a film like this that so confidently uh, debuts uh, a person who is, you know, at the forefront of writing, clearly. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you on that. And it's definitely something that, you know, for me, whenever I go to a festival like Sundance, uh, where you do go into pretty much everything you're watching completely blind, you hope and you, you know, you, you pray that you get that breakout discovery, whether it's a screenwriter, a director, a star. And in this case, it's all three, which is pretty incredible when you really stop and think about it. So I agree with you, Cody. There's something really energizing and exciting about seeing uh, something that you know is truly special happening on screen right before your eyes. Dan Bear, what about you? What'd you think of the four-year-old version? Uh, so I just finished watching it for a second time this morning, literally like woke up and put on this movie um, and <laughs> ended and then just got on here. And I wanted to watch it again, even though it was still like really, really fresh in my mind because I wanted to figure out when exactly the movie owned me. And I figured out it was like before the title even came on screen like it happened super duper early in the movie and it's just her voice like who was saying is is so strong and it doesn't just come through her through her through her rada and the character that she's playing it 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 is infused in every nook and cranny of this movie i just love even the white characters who are in the movie for a few seconds have 
um, you know who they are like right away and they have it's so the screenplay is so warm and generous and giving all these moments to all these people who most other movies would you know give a throwaway line to maybe here or there and i I absolutely love it. The um the, the theatrical satire is merciless and brilliant and hysterical and I love the little romantic comedy that's happening in it. I love the entire ensemble. I it reminded me so much of like it gave me like '90s indie film vibes. Yeah, like early exactly. Spike Lee. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, Julie Dash. Uh, uh, crap. Uh, Cheryl Dunyay. Like all of the. It reminded me a lot of just another girl on the IRT at some points. Like I, I, I was really just loving, loving, loving the vibe of it all. And to think that Rada Blank has <laughs> this is her first time out doing everything. And like, of course she's a playwright. Of course, because who else would have such a strong voice? But the visual aesthetic is also so great. And I, <laughs> I fucking love this. It's it's one of the best of the year. All right. Awesome. Josh Parham, what did you think of the 40-year-old version? Yeah, I'm going to echo a lot of what's already been said. I think particularly when it comes to Rada Blank and her performance and her voice in this movie, I definitely agree that it feels very singular to her, but it also feels so authentic. And you get a good sense of her journey just as a character within this movie, but also her perspective on life and what she wants to say and her values and her perspective. And I think all of that comes across so authentically and it's funny, but it's also very endearing and her entire personality that kind of wraps everything around this movie is just so engaging. And I agree that she infuses that not only with her performance, but with every character that she creates and all those performances too. It's such a fun movie to just sort of observe and to be in. Um, I I did really enjoy it. I didn't, I don't know if I loved it quite as much as uh, other people did. I do have some issues with kind of like the pacing to the movie. And I think that it could be a little tighter, but overall I still find it to be a very, um, a very inviting kind of atmosphere to just sort of hang out in. And that really is all credit to Rada Blank and, and what she did with this. I think it's a really good achievement. Yeah, I, I agree that the movie could be a bit tighter. It was one of those movies that when I did see it at Sundance, I immediately thought to myself, okay, this is definitely going to get picked up by somebody. And I actually predicted that it would be Netflix who would pick this up. My hope, though, was that they would re-edit it just ever so slightly just by even a few minutes to make it a bit tighter um as it is it's good i think it could have been a little slightly better i don't know if it would have been necessarily great but i think if i was kind of like analyzing rada blank as a star a writer and a director I think that her writing is definitely maybe the strongest element of this movie overall, then her performance, and then the directing I would rank in third, mostly because not just what we just talked about in regards to the pacing, but um, something that was overused to bend this movie, and I'm being really nitpicky here, I don't know if I like the constant whip pans of the camera when I felt like edits 
could have been done. It just felt like there were too many times where characters were talking and the camera, you know, just went left and then went right again. And it's one shot still of the camera just like shaking back and forth between uh, a, a dialogue between two characters. And I just thought to myself, well, that's a that's a that's an interesting choice. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of that. I think also you get moments where jump cuts are used. And that's another thing that you tended to see a lot in like the 90s indie cinema scene that Dan was talking about. And I think that sometimes they disrupt the rhythm of the scene a little bit too much for me. And I think that there's enough of those moments where it's not like these are choices that break the movie. But it to me, it just is a symbol of kind of the filmmaking not being that polished in some instances. And I think that that contributes to me not fully getting myself into the story. Whereas I think the performances and the script do a much better job at that. Are you talking about the, uh, Whenever it would like cut in a scene to like the the small box color moments, for example, not really so much that. I mean, there would just be moments where like a scene of dialogue would be happening, and then a new line would just clearly be uh, edited next. Like it would just be a jump cut from one line in the dialogue to the next. Like that, those moments were when I felt like it was interrupting the flow of the scene and it kind of took me out of it a bit. I I feel that, but at the same time, we we mentioned the word endearing a little while ago. There is something about the scrappy, like underdog indie filmmaking quality of this movie that does, I think, lend itself in an endearing way, especially when we know that it is all coming from one singular uh, person in this case. I think that even if you want to say it's like, you know, quote unquote, like a mistake, if you will, like, you know, like I said about the pans, for example, it may not be what I would consider to be polished and great necessarily, but it's something that I still greatly admire considering that, like I said, it's coming from one singular individual. Yeah. And the scrappiness and resilience of the filmmaking itself and the film as a, you know, just a piece of art debut uh, work also mirrors the journey of the character in the story in kind of a metatextual way. Yeah. Um, that, you know, may or may not be uh, on purpose, but it really helps to buoy the story in kind of a way that will bring the audience even further into endearing to the character. I think that that uh, connection that you just made there, Cody, is actually what gives the film its power because in one regard, we're seeing behind the scenes somebody who is finding their own voice in the filmmaking sense of the word where the movie is also about that same person now as a character autobiographical it possibly in some senses also finding her voice um, in a different world in the rap world or the theater world or just in the world in general and I think that that's a very important quality is not just finding that form of artistic expression but just finding the ability to be yourself in the world in general uh, because she is a 40 year old black woman who is not just having to navigate through the world of hip hop or the world of theater, but she's also having to navigate just through a life in New York city. And what does it mean for her, this character who has just lost her mother, who has lost someone that the screenplay tells us was a real rock in her life and someone that she really deeply cared about who taught her to be fearless now that that figure is gone, who does she become as a result? And I think that as like kind of a 
not a midlife crisis, but almost it almost is like a late life coming of age tale in a sort of weird way. It's a coming of middle age. There you go. I like that. <laughs> I, I think that the movie uh, definitely hits a very, very sweet spot of being able to really get us emotionally engaged uh, with what she is ultimately going through um, in, in that stage of her life. Yeah, I the thing feels so personal and deeply felt, and obviously that comes from the sort of semi-autobiographical aspects of it. But I also found that it's just, it's one of those things that is, um, you know, it's kind of a cliche to say like, you know, well, New York is the main character of this movie, really, and like, but kind of is in this case like i i just really love that the the sense of place in every scene and i thought that as a director she was really in, attuned to how each space that rada goes to is different and how she feels in each space is different and really highlighting that throughout and how she's navigating her life and her way through these spaces that she both has a claim to and doesn't in different ways and how that makes her feel and how comfortable or uncomfortable she feels in each of these different spaces that she inhabits as a woman, as a black woman in traditionally white or traditionally black spaces. Um, and it, I, I really loved that. Yeah. And I also love, too, that she doesn't go for uh, naturalistic performances, even though the performances always ring authentic. Um, they are a little hammy at times in some of their characterization. Like, Reed Burney, who plays uh, Josh Whitman in this movie, uh, the producer uh, for her Broadway uh, work or theater work, I should say, um, he is walking this fine line of white privilege and gatekeeping that is really, really cringy, but also incredibly um, real. Like, it feels so real in the sense that, like, he does not, I don't, like, he is not so self-aware of how incredibly racist and prejudiced he is coming across to Rada in his exchanges with her. But at the same time, it's, so incredibly funny because of the way that Rada directs the scenes and how she plays her facial reactions off of him with every line that he gives. So it's always walking like this really, really fine line in regards to like the performances and how she uh, captures them on camera, where it always seems like it could teeter into a different type of tone. And then all of a sudden the movie could kind of lose itself. But I, I think that she does a really, really incredible thing where the writing is so colorful and so vivid and filled with a lot of funny lines and bits and moments. But at the same time, it's really capturing, I think, people's attitudes and beliefs that are at the forefront still to this day of a lot of issues that people like herself probably face all the time daily in New York and all throughout the rest of the country. I mean, Cody, you can probably speak to this maybe even better than I can because it's been a few years since I've been in the professional theater world. But like the, everything about that storyline in this movie is so 
dead on yep. accurate. <laughs> yeah, Dan, and... I was glad you were going to be on this podcast with me because I knew somebody else with a theatrical background would just <laughs> die from those scenes with the. It was theater. so, so, so funny. He's always telling her, like every other scene that he has, he's always like telling her, um, you know, uh, I need somebody to produce my Shirley Chisholm musical or my Harriet Tubman <laughs> musical, and it keeps changing. My Ida B. Wells musical. <laughs> But it's true, and it's funny because it's true, and everything about um, the first scene where we meet him when she's at that the very fancy party with I love the two old biddies, the two old white ladies who show up in that scene, and then again at the <laughs> her place premiere at the end. Yeah. I love them so much because I know those women, I know them intimately. <laughs> but it's but like I said before, it's like the way that he delivers his lines, like lines like when he's like, "I asked myself, did a black person really write this?" and the delivery is one where it's like he's not being overtly nasty and mean, but it definitely is nasty and mean. And she can't necessarily call him out because she knows that like her career will be done, which is why when she does choose to strangle him at the party, it's so good. It's fantastic because it's like, yes, definitely call him out, put him in his place, let him know that what he's doing is not all right. And the movie plays it for comedy, and I, I think it does it so, so well. And that that is one of my favorite jump cuts in the movie, going from her choking him to her crying in her apartment, um, eating the ribs that she turned down at the party and crying, saying, I just want to be an artist, which that is a whole mood and a half. But it yeah, was not relatable so, at all. <laughs> so funny. Well, because isn't that incre- incredible in the sense that think about this for a moment. Think about how she is the producer of this movie as well. I don't think we mentioned that before. She wrote this, directed it, starred in it, and she produced it. Right. So this movie is all her. But she's playing a character in this movie that in order for her to tell something uh whether it is uh like in this case a, a play that is her that is her soul her story something that's her voice she has to collaborate with others who want to compromise her voice in the name of selling more tickets and putting more butts in the seats or whatever it is uh because they believe that that is still what needs to be done in 2020 is cater to you know a white audience and in the world of, you know, theater, I could honestly see how that, I guess it, not not that it makes sense, like I condone it, but I guess I could understand where people are coming from if they still have that kind of a mentality. And Cody and Dan, you guys could probably speak to this a bit more. Like, I, I want to believe that artists like Lin-Manuel Miranda, like, have come along and done a lot for uh, representation on stage in the Broadway scene, and it isn't as bad as the 40-year-old version makes it out to be still today. Is that true, or do you think it's still like that? Well, there was actually kind of a um, a moment uh, this summer where there was a group of uh, uh, artists of color who formed together a coalition um, 
and put together this list of demands called We See You White American Theater. And it was really prominent artists. And it just kind of went to show that even at the top levels of live performance, and this speaks to all levels of art, obviously, but there's still institutional racism from the top down and there's still work to be done. So it's kind of amazing um, in a kind of uh, synchronistic way that this movie, which was you know first seen in January, is coming out now when all those uh, issues that the movie is talking about that were kind of less mainstream ideas, at least for like the crowd that would watch this on Netflix, are now being spoken about in wider circles in the theater community. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, and there there are a few lines um, in the in the movie that I think are particularly uh, telling and particularly true. Um, there's a line when you know after the first reading of the play, and she's upset about it, and she was reiterating that she really wanted a black director and her you know friend and manager archie is like all the black working black directors are working and that that is something that is so prevalent is that there are only this handful of black directors that we know and like and we must put them on all the projects first and that 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 line ring particularly true. I agree. And it's also seen as another pat on the back line where the character doesn't necessarily know that what they're saying is necessarily bad to them. They think that's a good thing. You know, yeah, all the black directors are working. Look at what we've done, you know. And I do feel that there's a lot of times where the art industry, not just in theater, but anywhere, television, movies, everybody wants to pat themselves on the back all the time for doing a job well done. Right. That's all everybody like pretty much wants to do. And I feel that there's a lot of that going on here in terms of what we were talking about before and calling like attention to criticism of that community for, yeah, you say that you're very inclusive and especially the theater community. I mean, Jesus Christ, you know, but at the same time, how can you say that you guys are so inclusive, but still have this institutional racism and prejudice within your rank still? Like how, how? <laughs> I mean, like, there's the line about, you know, like, the, the all-female production of 12 Angry Men and the the multiracial revival of Fences. <laughs> <laughs> One of the funniest things in the movie. <laughs> when I tell you I died, and then the, the and then those old white women who followed it up, who followed that whole thing up with, and the Mockingbird didn't die at the end. <laughs> By the way, if we're just saying like funny lines for a brief moment that like 
really, really got me in this. I think my favorite laugh out loud moment in the movie is um, when she's having her fight with uh, Archie, who, by the way, is played so well by Peter Kim in this movie. I love him in this. Uh, when she throws the dress on the floor and he says, that dress did not deserve that. <laughs> that one really, really got me. What are uh, other uh, lines in the movie that you guys found like uh, particularly funny or any funny scenes or anything that just stood out? Um, I mean, well, the first thing that stands out to me is uh, Rada's facial expressions. Oh, yeah. And the moments when she is like trying to decide how to react to something that someone has said are all just mm, those are really like chef's kiss. Amazing. I I wrote down a lot of the lines that I liked Um, when one of her students, when one of her high school students said workshop production, it ain't even regional theater. That got me (laughs) Um, when she was, (laughs) she was, I, when she was calling, I think it was Archie um, after the, that first classroom scene, she's like, I'm probably about to kill or fuck one of these kids. (laughs) Oh my God. Like when the one kid is like hitting on her and he's like, he's like, I turned 20 in a week. (laughs) I'm I'm sure you do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, when she's, when she, this wasn't, like as laugh out loud funny, but when she's talking about, you know, how your how her mother died and how they're supposed to show up in your dreams and she says, Even my dreams need rewrites. Oh, I love that line, yeah. I really love that line, yeah. Yeah, you're right, Dan, that I really do just love her like facial expressions and just the transitions to jokes that she'll have within a scene where she'll just be talking normally and then her quick reaction to something will just immediately get me like i remember that scene when she goes to the first uh like black owned theater and she's talking with that guy who's you know god, communicating so with oh the, the my and all god the she's talking about what well, can i talk to my ancestors you know i want to talk to my ancestors. she wants me to pay my rent and she just yeah. him a look and it's like immediately just moves on and it's so quick and it's so amazingly done that guy tj adams is his name so good he has some of the funniest facial expressions at the premiere of Rada's play at the end when he's oh, yes. sitting in that audience. <laughs> Every moment with that actor was perfect. Absolutely. Like that's the kind of bizarre, weird, quirky, not really of this world kind of acting performance and comedy that I was talking about before wouldn't fall into like naturalistic territory, but it walks such a fine line. And my Lord, does it just work so well for laughs in this movie? Yeah. yeah. There's also the, um, the, the, the people that she has those little like interview segments with throughout the movie, the, the older black woman who's like 40, you know, come to me when you turn 70 <laughs> and, or like, I'm not going to tell you with my lips. I told you so. <laughs> but, and purses her lips. <laughs> she, I love her. She's fantastic. And also the homeless guy. Yeah. The street from Rada's building, which I, <laughs> that could have been such a throwaway joke, but he keeps coming back and like having an actual character. <laughs> and I, that to me is just indicative of how like, how generous of a screenwriter and director she is that she gives everyone in this cast these moments 
to stand out and make a stand for themselves. And I just love it. Which is a bit frustrating to me when it comes to Oswin Benjamin as D because he is the only actor in this movie that I feel like is dialed down a lot compared to everybody else. And I have to admit, as much as like there was great characterization for uh, Rada in their scenes together and, you know, a lot of layers revealed with who she is as a as a as a human being um, in her more intimate moments with him. I, I just found their scenes and probably because him being at odds with the way everyone else is written in the movie to just be uh, kind of boring. I, I, I hate to admit it. Yeah, he was very low key, but I also wonder if um, on the flip side, if that was maybe intentional to kind of have him be an oasis from all the <laughs> extroverted, you know, zaniness around her in both the theater community. Oh, I'm sure and it was. Classroom. Yeah. Um, I do agree. It was a little bit surprising to see how dialed back that character was. But yeah, I wonder if that was, you know, of a piece with the characterizations. Yeah, I have no doubt that it was an intentional move uh, for sure. But I wish because we were talking before about the pacing of the movie, right, and the length of it. I do feel then that as more scenes between those two kind of go on and on in the movie, you know, is crossing over that two hour mark pretty soon. Um, it, it just feels like it's n- not a momentum killer, but it it, just, it does feel like the momentum of the movie has like been brought down because, you know, that the laughs are not necessarily coming during those scenes. And while, like I said, the writing is really good in regards to how much it reveals about Rada's character um, through those interactions with D. I just felt that there were times where that's where I felt the film's length the most. Yeah, and the fact that they give the characters all around her so much breathing space and moments, you know, minor supporting characters get like four to five scenes, uh, does make the movie feel pretty long, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I think, like you said earlier, Matt, there were places you could have tightened a little bit, especially when the pace of the movie, when it's really, you know, moving, is very what's the word, uh, <laughs> uh, engaged. It's very, you know, my brain's just saying zippity zappity, which is not a word, but it's <laughs> that's the way the movie moves. <laughs> I get it though. Like, because it, it, it does there, there was a point when I first was watching it where it's somewhere in the middle. I was like, okay, so, so where is this going? And, while I I kind of while I kind of appreciate that a movie that ultimately does have kind of a conventional plot structure made me ask that I think it is because she there she's trying to cram a lot into one movie and I admire the ambition and I think that the fact that she is able to do right by all the different themes and story threads that she's pulling into this. I I do kind of agree that if it had been a little bit more focused, a little bit tighter, um, that it would have maybe been a uh, better quote unquote movie. But at the same time, I, I kind of love the sprawl of it. Oh, I love that every single side character gets a conclusion and everybody's relationship to her. Yeah. uh, Even with her students, you know, it's like we keep coming back to the students time and time and time again. And I think in a movie that would have been shorter, you would have had less scenes of that. Um, 
I think that the arc that she undergoes with her relationship with Archie is great. But at the end of the movie, when uh, they when she says you're fired and he says I quit at the same time, that is a perfect moment for them to end uh, their relationship on. But, you know, they're still friends despite all of this. I, I, I think that the breathing room uh, that Cody mentioned uh, before is so well done from a writing standpoint. It's just from a editing standpoint. I, I, I think that, you know, for a movie that has this much momentum, this many laughs, um, it, you just start to feel it a little bit towards the end uh leading up to that though i mean i was having a blast through this i mean it's just as i mentioned before there is something really really exciting when you know that you're watching something and in the moment you're just like oh my god oh my god we are witnessing the birth of a new star this is this is great (laughs) you know not just a new star but a new voice in film and it's one of those things where like you can wonder like well what is she going to do next since this was clearly such a such a personal project like what more is there to say what more can she do but her voice is so singular that i'm like i want to hear her voice on every type of movie that there is i remember one other thing too just in regards to the film's title because i had mentioned before the 40 year old uh, virgin and I remember watching this at Sundance and I remember asking myself, oh, man, I was like, why was this called the four year old version? Because like even when you say it, you might mispronounce it and people will think that you're talking about that Steve Carell movie. Right. So I was remember thinking to myself, why is it called this? Why is it called this? They, they should just change the title. Keep the movie exactly as it is and just change the title when she gets up on the stage at the end of the movie and she has her rap yeah. and she delivers her speech. And she talks about FYOV. And we realize that FYOV does not just stand for 40-year-old version. It also stands for other things as well. I, once again, was kind of gobsmacked by the brilliance of the writing in kind of tying that all together. Because I don't think you could have called the movie FYOV. I think that would have been a little too obscure. But I think that you know, calling it the 40-year-old version as opposed to, say, find your own voice, which would have been too cliche. You know, I, I, I recognized by the end of this movie, I was like, okay, this is all starting to click now. This is all making sense. And it was once again, just another added level of how smart and talented and creative that she is. Yeah, that final rap that she gives is such a powerful moment. And I agree with you, Matt, that it's, it, it really is this moment where it's like everything comes together so neatly and you're kind of amazed that it's landing as hard as it is. And it manages to encapsulate all the themes that the movie's working with. And it also emphasizes her great performance and the tone that's being set in that moment. It's such a brilliant moment and it really for it to come near the end of the film shows a real great confidence in the overall storytelling and it's such a a powerful scene and it really is one of the best in the film what do you guys think of uh the rapping scenes uh in general i particularly love that scene where she goes to the uh the boxing ring and you see all the other female rappers oh yeah the queen of the ring mm-hmm. that, that was I love that scene a lot. And that is one of those scenes that like you could have cut that down because I think that was the moment where I first sort of felt the length of the movie. Yeah, me too. At the same time, like 
you cut that scene down and you miss that whole vibe and the whole feel of this world that she's entering to. And you're also like, it's not just about these female battle rappers who those are all real female battle rappers and like props to Roderick Blank for like getting them and giving them this platform to, for their talents. But there's also like going on on the outside. There's the, it's showing the, relationship between Rada and D and Rada's relationship to this world and you know what she talks about later in the movie about you know her mom teaching her to be fearless and how she's lost that and I again like when that sort of comes up at the end you're like oh god it all clicks it all makes sense like you were saying that yeah yeah the rap scenes in general whenever I see really impressive uh rap um, I, I don't want to surprise you guys. It's not something I would ever be able to do. Um, and I'm always amazed whenever I can see, uh, you know, creative minds working that quickly and just, you know, the output is instant. Um, and it, yeah, there's several scenes where this movie gets to exhibit that kind of creativity, just untethered and, uh, you know, with just, just showing it happen. White man with a black woman's butt. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I really, really badly want to get a full version, though, um, of that one person in D Studio singing the song about how she wants her check. (laughs) (laughs) I really, really want that full version of that song. (laughs) Uh, All right. uh, Final thoughts on the four year old version. Uh, Cody, what final thoughts do you have? So I think one of the more impressive things about this movie is the fact that uh, with this being her mainstream artistic, uh, you know, debut in her mid 40s or early 40s, the fact that the movie is a testament to being true to yourself and telling your own story and that will find you the most success because people are inherently drawn to that kind of raw um, ability and exhibitionism. the fact that the movie is about that and it's also in real life her first big success kind of just further emphasizes the themes of, that the movie is laying out in a metatextual way. And that's something that you can't anticipate, obviously, when you're making the movie, but just goes to show how well drawn and fleshed out those themes in the movie are. And that speaks to the, you know, the altogetherness of the screenplay as a whole. Yeah. Dan? I was just going going through my notes, actually, and we pretty much covered everything. But I did want to highlight that there are, I think, two moments, maybe like one or two more in the movie. But I, the number I'm counting right now is two, where she looks directly into the camera. Mm. And those moments are not they're, – they're chosen so well and she plays them so well that it's just, you know, it's just further um, evidence of her strong directorial eye, I think, and her feeling for, you know, is this something that will work in this moment? And because looking directly into the camera like that, it's that almost breaking of the fourth wall. It's a tricky thing to do and get right. And especially when it's not something that is a motif in the film but the it works so well here and i was just i was really impressed by it i think because it's a a metatextual movie um, i think that's why it works pretty well yeah 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 
Um, and it also just like comes through in her in her performance style, I think, which is not really that, but it has a sort of uh, it has a, a theatrical quality to it, although it's not theatrical. I don't know that that makes sense, but it, it's what's coming to my mind. Sure, <laughs> it helps that work. Um, there's there's also um, coming back to something that I was saying before about the what I found so interesting about this and her strong sense of place in this movie, the way that the cinematography uh, uses lighting in specific places to make her skin look lighter or darker, that sort of emphasizes how she is really straddling these two worlds of being black, but entering theater, which is a very white space um, and trying to navigate in a world that is built to that is really built around and for white people. And when it emphasizes her blackness and when it takes some of that away, I think is really smart and really interesting to watch. Nice. Josh. Uh, there are a couple things I do want to mention. Um, we were talking about funny lines before, and I did just remember that I think maybe my favorite is when she gives the sandwich to the homeless guy, <laughs> he's like, "Is this poison? Better finish it." <laughs> Love that moment so much. And when um, he says, "Next time, could you put some mayo on both sides of this dry ass bread?" Uh, it's such a great moment. I really loved it. Um, I also do want to just give another shout out to Peter Kim, who is so funny and so hilarious, but also is like a real character and like so many things in this movie could have been so easily a, tr a throwaway trope that we have seen in other movies. Cause he's essentially the gay best friend, but he's a real character with actual motivations and a real arc to him. And there's an authenticity to his performance and his characterization that I really appreciated. So I did just want to shout him out one more time. And the, the last thing I want to just mention is, I've noticed that we've gotten a lot of movies recently that revolve around this idea of gentrification. And I find it interesting that it's really been a recurring theme in a lot of movies now. And I feel like this one actually finds somewhat of a unique spin to explore that theme because you not only have this like play that they're working on that is about this theme, but it's also trends, you know, it's also going into the notion of the work itself, like the work itself is becoming gentrified. And it's, and I think that this movie really does a fantastic job of presenting this case of movies or, or stories from particularly the black perspective, staying with the black perspective. And it's so easy for the gatekeepers in charge wanting to shift the focus of those stories to a different perspective. And particularly one that emphasizes black pain and we see that a lot in movies and i feel like this one has a very definite commentary to say that no there that the authenticity that you need to bring to tell stories from this perspective doesn't need to be just in misery that there is a whole complex world that's happening that isn't just from one particular point of view that really is from the white perspective and i found that the relationship between it being showcased within the film through this play, but also just thematically throughout the storytelling to be really unique. And I very, very much appreciated that. I echo everything that uh, you just said there, Josh. You know, I was thinking about while watching this movie, uh, this is how movies like 
The Help or Green Book. This is how they happen. This is how like those stories get made. And I think if you want to see a little bit of like not not exactly, but if you want to peel back the curtain just a little bit into understanding the way that uh, voices get compromised in the art world all the time, uh, I think that this movie is a great example of that. And once again, I, I really have to shout out just how strong I think the writing in this movie is. And even though, as we mentioned before, it is a little long, there are some aspects to the filmmaking I wish could have been a little bit tighter overall. Um, I am still a massive fan of this movie. And one other note that I want to just point out, because I am such a sucker for black and white cinematography, is I love that the cinematography in this movie is never showy. Uh, This is not a movie that I think is going to get nominated for the Oscar for Best Cinematography just because it is in black and white. Uh, But I really, really like that it still retained this gritty feeling to it that reminded us, as we mentioned before, of like the early 90s, like when independent filmmaking was like on the rise and, you know, in in America and all throughout like um, the world, really. And it has a quality to it that feels... Even though it is so much of its time, it also makes it feel uh, more universal and timeless in a way that I really, really appreciate it a lot. And that transition to color at the end and the final shot is so subtle that I didn't even realize it was happening until we were fully full color. (laughs) I had no idea. I loved that switch so, so much. Yep. Oh, my God. Chef's kiss, cherry on top of a great movie. Absolutely. Yeah. I am giving the 40-year-old version an 8 out of 10. Cody? I'm at a very, very strong 7 out of 10. Dan Bear? A very strong 8 out of 10. Josh Parm? I am at a strong 7. It's almost an 8, but I'm like right at the line. But it, like Cody, I'm at a very, very strong 7. Now, Dan Bear and I were talking about this offline, uh, Oscar prospects for the four-year-old version. I am starting to believe, and I kind of felt this way too back at Sundance, but I thought it was such a long shot. It was like one of those things where it's like, okay, this would be really, really cool to see, but I didn't think it was going to happen. Now I'm starting to believe that it's going to happen. What do you guys think about Best Original Screenplay happening? Literally all I want this year from the Oscars are two things. One, and they're both in the in the original screenplay category. One is Palm Springs and the other is this. <laughs> That's all I want, Oscars. That's all I want. It's not too much to ask, is it? I think this one's a little bit more realistic than Palm Springs, but I could... I could definitely see it happening for this movie. I think that especially when you consider that screenplay nominations are usually sort of like the consolation prize for a really good movie that has trouble getting into other categories, but you want to reward it somewhere. And usually the writer's branch comes through with that. So I could definitely see it happening for it. Yeah, I'm just pulling up our collective predictions now, and I'm I I think there's definitely room here in a you know a top ten at least for predictions, especially in a year like this, as we all keep saying. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing too that um, I would love to see happen, just as a form of recognition, because I do think this movie is going to do well with the independent uh, spirit awards. I, I I could see it contending in multiple categories uh, there. Uh, Rada even won the directing prize at Sundance uh, for this movie. I would personally really, really love it if she got recognized uh, by the Golden Globes for comedy actress uh, musical. 
Well, that'd be nice. Uh, that would be really <laughs> nice. Um, I would love that. I I have. I'll be honest in saying I have trouble seeing the globes going for something this small. It feels more like an indie spirit or Gotham sort of thing. But I I would love it. (laughs) But ask yourself this option. How many options do they really have on their plate this year for that category? I mean, it depends on what else they consider to be a comedy or musical this year. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but they did go for eighth grade, so... They did, that's true. But that was A24. And also remind me too, didn't they just do Beanie Feldstein for Booksmart? Yep. They did. But like, again, like that's something that you could tell that that captured a sort of zeitgeist. And it remains to be seen if this will do that. I really, really hope it does. It it deserves to. I think it will all come down to how how hard Netflix campaigns it. Yeah. And I, I really hope they do because... She deserves it, and I know they're going to have their hands full with uh, Trial of the Chicago 7 and Mank, but like, remember that black voices and female voices are just as important, and they need this recognition as well, Netflix. Just saying. Yeah, I, I don't think that her getting a Golden Globe nomination is actually as far-fetched as we may think it is. I think that there is a definite possibility that it could happen. I don't know if I'd put money on it right now, but I would not be shocked to see her name called for a nomination like that. If it was in the TV category where they love to reward brand new voices, it would be a surefire thing. (laughs) Yeah. And also, this is never going to happen, but I would also love it if Peter Kim got some kind of recognition too, because I did both of them, like especially their energy that they played off of each other is just so infectious. And I loved every scene with them together. Yeah, same. I would really hope that people would also look at Peter Kim for this. He's a my supporting actor ballot. Yay. Mine too. I mean, he's an actual supporting actor. (laughs) You know, it's like not a lead role in a supporting, you know, in a supporting slot. So, yeah. Something to consider. Just saying. All right. That'll do it here for our review of the four-year-old version here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Dan Bear, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at DancingDanOnFilm. Cody Derricks? I'm on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram at CodyMonster91. And Josh Parham? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me in Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of the four-year-old version here on the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always. And we shall see you all next time. Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. 
We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.